0: Hello, and welcome to the American Thoracic Society Breathe Easy Nursing Assembly podcast. My name is Nina Bracken, Web Director for the Nursing Assembly. In these podcasts, we interview leading clinicians and researchers and ask them to share their perspectives on topics related to nursing and pulmonary and critical care. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Dina Costa, who will lead today's podcast on Implementation Science. I'm also pleased to be joined by Lauren Castro from the Nursing Assembly Web Committee.
1: Thank you. Happy to be able to join.
0: Dr. Dina Costa is an assistant professor in the Department of Systems, Populations, and Leadership at the University of Michigan School of Nursing. She has expertise in adult critical care nursing and is a trained health services researcher. The goal of her program of research is to maximize survival and minimize morbidity for ICU patients and their families. She accomplishes this through federally funded research and projects that examine how to improve the ICU interprofessional team's ability to deliver high quality care to mechanically ventilated adults. She is active in ATS, serving on the ATS Quality Improvement and Implementation Committee, the ATS Critical Care Program Committee, on several ATS sponsored projects and within the nursing assembly. Dr. Costa, it is a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. so we'll get started. Can you first describe to our listeners what implementation science is? Sure. So
2: implementation
0: science
2: is really defined as the scientific study of methods and strategies to promote the translation of evidence into clinical practice. And it primarily focuses on sort of examining how or why um, adoption of a particular intervention occurs or fails. Um, There's more of an emphasis on, I would say, understanding how kind of complex multi-component, so interventions that have sort of a lot of different parts um, and target sort of different levels of a system are adopted into practice. Um, ATS, uh, if you're interested in this, ATS published uh, a, a statement in the Blue Journal in 2017 that really discusses implementation science, gives a definition and then talks about sort of its relevance to pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine. And so i say really broadly the goal of implementation science is to better understand how we can improve translating evidence into practice and also sort of sustaining those changes
0: in the clinical setting. And for audience members who are less familiar with clinical trials and research, can you describe the difference between implementation science and efficacy research? Okay. So when
2: I think about the knowledge generation timeline, right, so like when we're thinking about um, uh, generating new knowledge, I think that efficacy research really needs to come before implementation science. Um, and what What implementation science does is it takes existing interventions, right, so you've demonstrated that these are uh, efficacious or effective interventions, um, and then figures out how to optimally implement those settings into the healthcare, those practices, excuse me, into the healthcare setting. And so efficacy research, sort of the definition, involves identifying potential benefits or harms of an intervention, and it occurs usually in a very controlled setting. And so efficacy trials are usually uh, placebo-controlled RCTs, right? So you're testing one one intervention and comparing it to sort of a a placebo, right? Like thinking about a drug, right? So you're giving a drug and then comparing it to another group of patients that maybe haven't received uh, those drugs in sort of two randomly allocated groups. Related to efficacy research as well as implementation science is effectiveness research. Um, And it's a little bit different, and so traditionally effectiveness trials, I would say, occur either after an efficacy trial has taken place, right, so after you've already determined that this intervention can be done in a very controlled setting, or in instances where it's infeasible or even unethical to sort of um, manipulate the environment and really control it um, in such a way as you would want to for an efficacy trial. And so effectiveness trials are sometimes referred to as pragmatic trials, and what they do is examine a health intervention in real-world settings. One of the key distinctions, I think, between efficacy and effectiveness is that in effectiveness research, your control group is usually usual care, um, instead of in efficacy research like we talked about, is sort of the placebo. And so in an effectiveness trial, what you're trying to do is see whether the designed intervention that you've proposed or are trying to test, improves the desired outcome in the clinical setting. (laughs) Excuse me. And then I think implementation science comes next, right? And so this is where, like I said before, you have an efficacious or an effective intervention that's already been demonstrated. Um, And what you're trying to do is figure out how to optimally implement that into practice. So you're not testing whether the intervention or the healthcare practice works. What you're trying to study are sort of what are the implementation strategies, and there's Several of them. Some examples are, you know, education and training, or audit and feedback, where you collect data and you bring it back to the clinicians, or the use of unit champions, having someone um, sort of be a champion for uh, 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 a county, right? Catheter-associated urinary tract infection intervention, for example. If those, what sort of implementation strategies are best for getting your effective intervention into practice? And so, implementation science really involves partnering with with the clinicians um, in the setting and really getting a good understanding of what can help or hinder their ability to implement a given practice in their healthcare setting and then designing and pulling together your implementation intervention, right, so pulling together all of those strategies um, to best address sort of some of the barriers to practice or some of the facilitators. And so in my view, you can't really conduct, and I I think most implementation scientists would agree, you can't really conduct an implementation trial if you don't have an effective intervention or efficacious intervention uh, design. There are some newer uh, approaches that what are termed hybrid trials, where you are able to sort of demonstrate effectiveness of your intervention and then move forward with the implementation intervention in the same trial. Um, but that probably is more information than you needed for the scope of uh, this question.
1: (laughs) Great, thank you so much, Dina, that's really helpful. And thinking about your professional journey, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your specific research interests? Sure, so I became interested in
2: research, um, I was working as a bedside ICU nurse at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston, and I had a really specific patient situation uh, that really has driven me um, to look at the uh, look at and study the things that I do now. And so I was really close with this patient and with his family, and he had a really very long and complicated clinical course. And I was one of about three or four nurses. We used a primary care nursing model, um, and we had a great team of respiratory therapists and physicians that we worked with. Um, but we had a... a a team that worked together really well caring for this man, and we did a great job saving his life. But I remember <clears throat> at one point towards the end of his stay thinking, you know, we did a great job as a team for this patient, but I don't really understand exactly what, it, what we did, right? And why, couldn't, why can't we provide this level of care for sort of all of the patients all of the time? Um, and so this, this experience really inspired me to figure out how we could improve care for ICU patients. And this patient experience, as well as sort of my clinical experience in general, has really continues to spur my research ideas. And so the research that I do really examines, um, as Nina mentioned earlier, how to improve the ICU team's ability to deliver high quality care. And so I focus on understanding um, and exploring who is part of an effective ICU team and how we can how can we best support them to work together effectively. I believe that a highly effective ICU team is able to implement care practices and interventions optimally. And so this is sort of where my work and implementation science come together. And so I work to try and understand how we can develop effective teams for high quality implementation, ultimately with the goal of improving outcomes for patients and families. Um, And understanding what prevents ICU teams from being able to deliver um, and implement high quality care uh, is really the cornerstone of my work. And I think sort of understanding what prevents teams from de- delivering high quality implementation in general. Not just my work uh, is also sort of cornerstone to implementation science.
1: Great, that's, that's very interesting. So building on that a little bit, Dina, um, did your role as a nurse in the ICU at that time, did it provide the opportunity for you to get involved and ultimately lead to projects at aiming for mechanically ventilated patients? It sounds like it was a motivation, but were there opportunities um, provided? Yeah, so it definitely, it absolutely was a motivation, like you said, Lauren. Um, and I recall, I
2: remember when I was working as a bedside nurse, right, we were an academic medical center, so there was a lot of ongoing research projects. Um, and I remember there was an esophageal balloon study. There was a couple of others. But I remember they were being driven prim- primarily from a physician or respiratory therapist perspective. Um, and I totally recognized the importance of those studies, but I remember having a hard time sort of understanding how that related to my clinical practice. And what really got me jazzed um, was seeing the work that my clinical nurse specialists were doing. Um, There was a couple that were looking at sort of that prevention approaches. This was in the um, early to mid-2000s and sort of studying whether we needed to auscultate for um, NG tube placement confirmation, right? All of these sort of very relevant uh, uh, research questions and quality improvement questions for clinical nursing practice. And so to me, that was really, really exciting. Um, and so through my work at BI, I got involved in our unit-based council um, on nursing research and education. And so began to see a little bit, not I wasn't involved in any specific research projects while I was there, but um, began to see sort of really the benefits of nursing-led research. Um, and so because of my clinical experience and the work that I do, my One of my goals is really to introduce research to clinical nurses at the bedside so that they can see the benefits and the merits of it and also can see potentially how they can engage. In one of my ongoing funded studies, um, I actually incorporate staff nurses as part of my study team members. And I think uh, in each of our sites, and I think that um, it's a way of showing uh, clinical nurses, right, that research is relevant to them and they can be engaged in it um, uh, when they can see, right, PhD nurses prepared nurses, um, conducting studies that are relevant uh, and impact their everyday practice. And I think the more opportunity we have to continue to do so, um, we can grow the nursing research field. And I and I believe, right, nurses, we can do anything, and so I think that uh, I feel pretty strongly, right, that the more well, we engage nurses across the spectrum in research, I think the greater our impact can be on patients and the healthcare system at large. Thanks,
0: Dina. Building again on on your answer, can you describe how you see the role of nursing being important to the field of clinical effectiveness research, and more specifically implementation science?
2: Sure, yeah. So, I I think embedded in nursing, in training, right, for nurses, um, is our uh, perception skills, right, we have to pick up on a lot of different things and use sort of all of our senses. It's these finely tuned assessment skills. And due to that, I think that nearly all nurses, if not all of them, are incredibly perceptive and really creative, and I think that it's part of our training, I can't remember, I can't count the number of times, right, we reconfigured something at the bedside, right, like a a J-tube wasn't working and we had to... Uh, figure something out or use a different tube or bag for something that wasn't its its intended purpose. And so I think we're really good at figuring out what works and pushing boundaries. And so because of this, I think nurses are really made for implementation science. We're used to getting stuff done. We're excellent planners. And more importantly, I think we have the ability to, to be very empathetic and step into other people's shoes. And when you're thinking about implementing an intervention, right, You want to be able to pull together a broad range of stakeholders and be able to actually understand their perspective as to what may impede or facilitate the the intervention from getting into practice. And so because of our training, I think, and because of many of the skills that nurses have, it makes us incredibly well suited um, for implementation science.
1: Great, a multidisciplinary team representative of actual inpatient settings is obviously important to the design of an implementation science study. Can you tell us about one of your current or past studies that involved such a team and what you might have learned?
2: Yeah, a team is so, so, so important here at Michigan. Um, I don't know if anyone is familiar, but we had a longstanding football coach, Bo Schembechler, that has a really famous speech before a Big Ten championship where he talks about the team, the team, the team. And so it's sort of um, embedded here at Michigan uh, that the team is really important. And so I, because my work looks at interprofessional teams, uh, the investigators, right, the collaborators that I work with are a broad array of uh, interprofessional, um, not only investigators but also clinicians. Um, And as part of that, I currently have a funded study from the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality where we're looking at aspects of teams and teamwork and how it best supports implementation of the ABCDE bundle, which is a a care bundle specific to mechanically ventilated patients and liberating them from mechanical ventilation sooner. Um, And so the work that I have is sort of ongoing from that. uh, And so I hope to have data for you soon. But I can tell you um, that I've conducted two studies uh, using surveys. Uh, that we conducted at MHA Keystone, which is uh, the Michigan Health and Hospitals Association Keystone Center, uh, which is a large quality collaborative in the state of Michigan um, that really works to improve care for Michigan patients. Um, and so, through through MHA Keystone, we host an annual ICU workshop, and I've had the opportunity um, to survey these participants uh, every year and in two papers um, that both were published in Journal of Critical Care, one led by me and then one led by my PhD student Emily Bolte that was recently accepted, uh, we show that there are sort of two key factors of ICU teams that impact uh, ABCD implementation and those two pieces are one, the team composition, so who's part of the team, and the other piece is shared mental models which is a knowledge structure that's sort of shared across team members um, about individual behavior and sort of the the goal. It's sort of having everybody on the same page for a a simpler explanation. And so what we found was that having a team composed of diverse interprofessional team members, right, so you've got a nurse, you've got a physician, a respiratory therapist, et cetera, it's associated with greater odds of ABCDE being implemented as routine. And similarly, when ICU team members report that they have a shared mental model, specifically that they're able to predict other team members' behaviors, it's associated with uh, uh, greater odds of routine ABCD implementation. And so this suggests that aspects of the ICU team are related to implementation, but more work is needed to understand how we can best support teams for high-quality implementation. And so both of these studies were um, conducted, like I said, at MHA Keystone, where it's we surveyed an interprofessional group. The attendees at this workshop are nurses, physicians, uh, some respiratory therapists, some physical therapists. Um, and so I, I tend to not only partner with those clinicians when I'm conducting uh, clinical research in the field, uh, but I also tend to um, survey and, and get their perspectives as much as possible.
1: Great. And Dina, thinking about our many colleagues that are at the bedside, especially nurses all over the U.S. and beyond, um, who are interested in developing or being a part of implementation science, how would you recommend that um, that they go about that within their organization to get that start?
2: This is a great, great, great question. Um, And so I, as I mentioned earlier, right, I started with our unit-based council. We had a shared governance governance structure at the hospital that I was working at. Um, And so there was a nursing research, and um, it was termed nursing research and education here at Michigan. It's it's a nursing research and translation committee, Um, but in essence, right, it's a group of practicing clinicians that come together across the hospital that have an interest in nursing research or quality improvement Um, and um, uh, work together on a variety of different projects and or review nursing research proposals. Um, And so I would highly encourage people to get involved in either the nursing research and or quality safety. One, if they're not one in the same. Um, Because quality improvement and implementation science do have some similarities, and so getting some good training or exposure to quality improvement I think is a great uh, first step. And so get involved clinically, locally, um, if you can. I think if you're interested in moving forward and potentially getting an advanced degree, I would recommend reaching out to um, some hospitals right at Beth Israel when I was working there. We had a a Ph.D. nurse scientist that sat on the nursing research committee, um, and then nurses could partner with uh, him or her to work on uh, research studies that they wanted to conduct in their own setting. And so if that's available to you, I highly encourage you to to reach out and connect with those individuals to hear about their career journey um, and get their insight. That's actually part of part of the reason that I got a PhD was I was taking some grad classes. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. I knew I liked research, but I nobody in my family has a PhD. I didn't. It just didn't feel really accessible to me. And I connected with one of my uh, instructors. I was taking courses at BC, um, and just said to her, "This is what I'm. This is what I like to do. This is what I'm interested in, but I don't know where to where to go next." And it was really at her urging and her recommendation that I apply to Ph.D. programs, and that's you know, one of the main reasons that I actually have a Ph.D., because I wouldn't have been able to sort of figure out that career path, I think, for myself without having exposure to somebody who was actually working in that environment. And so if you're interested in a Ph.D. or even a DNP or a, a master's, again, um, try and connect with people that are currently in those roles. Uh, their schools schools sort of all over the country. Um, Uh, including Michigan, that's my own little plug, um, where you can get a PhD in nursing um, with a focus in implementation science and then come to Michigan, I I would say, and then come to Michigan and do a postdoc. Uh, We've got some fabulous training programs uh, for uh, implementation science in uh, critical care, lung disease, and heart disease um, called Tactical. Um, And so I, I would say start local. Reach out to somebody who might have a role that you're interested in and then think about expanding your opportunities if you're interested in future in additional education uh to to get what you need to, to sort of do the job that you want. Um, if you're attending ATF in uh May, um, we I really encourage you to check out our scientific symposium. So the ATF Quality Improvement and Implementation Committee. We submitted a uh symposium that got programmed where we're looking at how to the, really the quote-unquote, how-to of implementation. And so we're using examples of how to implement in a critical care setting, um, which I think should be really fun. That's Wednesday at 9.15 in the morning. Um, And so that's also a a great way uh, to get additional exposure to ways that you could potentially be involved in implementation and implementation science in your healthcare setting.
1: Excellent. Many calls to action, Dina. Thank you so much. (laughs) So this concludes our podcast. So thank you so much, Dina, for being with us today. Thanks for having me, this is great. I love nursing, I
2: love critical care, and I love implementation science. So talking about all those three things. um, I can't really ask,
0: ask for more. Thank you, Dina and Lauren. You have just heard from Dina Costa, Assistant Professor in the Department of Systems, Populations, and Leadership at the University of Michigan School of Nursing. If there are any questions or comments related to this podcast, or you'd like to make a suggestion for future podcast topics, please contact the Nursing Assembly at nursing at thoracic.org. This is Nina Bracken, Lauren Castro, and our implementation science expert signing off.